Welcome back to the Big Picture podcast series. This week, we're joined by Dr. Phil Renshaw and Dr. Jenny Robinson, authors of Leaders Who Coach. Hello, it's over to you, Jenny and Phil. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minji. Thank you. And thank you for giving us this opportunity to, to talk. It's obviously come about from our our previous connections uh, through through our doctorates at, uh, at um, Cranford University. As I said earlier, we are passionate about this topic of leadership and we're passionate about the topic of leaders who coach. So we're delighted that so many of you have joined us uh, this evening or wherever you are in the world. It could be this morning or this afternoon uh, to engage in this conversation with us. We will be asking you to share some thoughts along the way in the chat. And you may have already seen that Jenny has suggested you get some pen and paper to hand because we actually want you to engage with some thinking with pen and paper as well. So what has happened in the last couple of years with COVID is brought to people's attention something that Jenny and I have believed for quite a long time. It's brought to people's attention the idea that when you're working digitally, when you're working virtually, you're working in different formats, that you require other people to be successful. Leadership is not an individual endeavor. You have to work collaboratively together. And that's what we'll be focusing on. What do we want to demonstrate in the next 40 to 45 minutes to you all? Well, our view is that leadership is regularly taught incorrectly. We think that leadership is discussed incorrectly in many a university around the world. And it leads people to think about it incorrectly. They build their skills in the wrong way. Their whole approach is just not suitable for what we now know. And we're trying to emphasize what that means and also what it means for you. You'll see our title says Leaders Who Coach and How You Become One Today. See, one of the consequences as to our view as to how you should think about leadership is that it means you can start practicing and developing your own leadership skills immediately. You don't even need work experience. What you need to do is to give it attention to think about small things that you can start to practice to develop and you will improve. So whether you're a student and you're thinking about employability and selling that to people, or you're already in, in, you know, in, in employment and you're looking just to build your leadership skills and the outputs, this should be of interest to you. We think it makes a really big difference to people. Jenny, why don't you take over from here? So I've already suggested that people might like to grab a pen and a piece of paper because in a minute I'm going to invite you to have a little bit of fun and we're going to use drawing or illustration. And the reason we do this is because there's a very serious intention in asking you to do this. And that is that uh, by drawing out some of our assumptions, we reveal to ourselves what is hidden. We reveal some of our thinking that possibly we, we hadn't considered before. So what you're about to be invited to do is to do a little bit of drawing. It, it's not artistic drawing. It's just sort of doodles, you know, sketches and, and uh, very easy line diagrams. And um, I would like you to, if you have a phone and you feel comfortable, just then quickly take a photo of it and I'll give you an email address. And if you send me, um, send me the picture on an email later on while Phil is talking, I'm going to try and make a little montage. I don't promise I'll be able to do this, by the way, because it might be, it might be technically impossible uh, given the limits of my broadband as I'm doing a Zoom and trying to collect uh, big email attachments, who knows. But I, I would really love to get a flavor from you of the different views of leadership. So here's the task I'm going to ask you to take on. Please, would you draw leadership? If you were not allowed to wor use words, if you could only use pictures or illustrations, or some other non-verbal form, non-word non form of leadership, how would you do that? What would you, so if you're trying to, to illustrate to somebody who has never come across the concept of leadership, how would you um, articulate that using your pen and paper without using words? So I'm going to give you just a minute or two 
And in the chat, I am putting up the email link. If you, if you would like to share that with us, we'd be delighted to see it. Um, if you feel too self-conscious, that's fine. I am going to show you some pictures of leadership. So um, I, I'm going to, to show you what we have commonly got, but uh, part of our research is to gather these pictures and use them as, as some richness to uh, help inform our, our research on leadership. So when we take out the verbal ability to describe leadership, when we sit down and draw what it means, um, for those of you who are academically inclined, we reveal our ontology. So our ontology is the set of glasses, the, uh, the lenses through which we see life. And uh, if you are studying leadership, then understanding your basic ontology of leadership is really super important. So let me just demonstrate how this might look and uh, it will help to bring this to, to life for you. So if you think that leadership is about who's in charge, then possibly you have drawn little stick figures, male or female. I mean, clearly, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, everybody would have done a male stick figure. Nobody would have thought of putting a woman stick figure there or very few. So times have changed and we now think of putting in stick figures. Maybe you put in a stick figure uh, who wasn't completely able-bodied, for example, or maybe you put in a stick figure who had different uh, skin tones. I mean, these are now examples of how we we draw or bring to life something that sort of illustrates how our mindset has changed. Nevertheless, most of us still continue to draw those stick figures. And that is largely about who is in charge and that it is the individual, it is the leaders who create leadership. But some people have uh, also produced pictures in the past where they show a network. They show uh, people relating to each other in this uh, network configuration. And often that is uh, revealing an ontology of leadership or a lens on leadership, which is that leadership is about how things get done. And the embedded assumption is that it's through the network of power that we exercise leadership that there are power relationships. And sometimes people, of course, they draw the little pyramid of an organization with you know, one person on top and many people underneath them, for example. So then you'd have leaders and followers. And many of you will know about transformational leadership. These transformational leadership might sit in the first or the second line of this diagram. But the important thing is that by drawing it and by putting it on paper in this way, we are showing that actually the line at the top does not get confused with the line that comes under it. So these, these ideas are, are different ontologies. That's, that's why they are in separate lines. So the way that we think about leadership is we think of leadership as a collaborative endeavor. And to draw our form of leadership, we don't draw people, we draw movement. So we draw lines that are moving forward or getting diverted. And if you think about, for example, um, a flock of uh, starlings, they're called murmurations. Murmurations, you know, they all move together as a whole. And you'd never say, oh, that bird on the right is the leader. You know, they're all stuck together and they're all moving seamlessly. They're collaborating and collectively moving. And what we say is that leadership must emerge from the dynamic of a collective will. So there is something about uh, galvanizing the collective will that is leadership. So the important thing I want you to take from this is that 
illustrating leadership, drawing leadership, as I asked you to do, reveals your ontology of leadership. What, what does leadership mean to you? And one ontology is not to be confused with a different ontology because the assumptions are different. And that's really super important as we go through the rest of today um, because it takes a long while to get our head around this. I, I started studying this years ago and I, I knew I liked this idea of collaborative leadership. I really, I really knew there was something in it, but if I wasn't drawing people, what was it I was drawing? And really understanding some of the natural metaphors really helped me. And I'll, I'll come back again and again to some of these nat natural metaphors, which may help you as well. So then if we move across about these different ontologies, what they do is they suggest that the way in which we develop leadership also needs to change. If you are developing individuals who are having leaders and followers, then clearly thinking about teaching or learning influencing skills is going to be super important. If, if that's the model of leadership, if that's the ontology of leadership, you're going to, to, to be concerned about influencing people. But if you move to the ontology that we're in, which is the collaborative leadership, then we don't see people as being leaders and followers. We see everybody as being a contributor to leadership. And the development that is required is very, very different as well, because our assumptions have changed, the way we see development has changed. So we see that the power of interaction is important. So here, leadership is interactions across members of a group that change the trajectory of activity. And the reason that change of direction, the change of trajectory is important, is there is a form of scholarship called group work. And we're not in the group work scholarship, we're in the leadership scholarship. So the thing that differentiates leadership from group work is that leadership creates change in trajectory, like this. Okay, so this is why we end up talking about leaders who coach, because fundamentally leaders who coach are working across this way of thinking. They're thinking collaboratively. They're thinking about drawing in the best of everybody and creating this collective will. So I'm going to hand back to Phil and look at your pictures silently. <laughs> Thank you very much. Do take us to the next slide. So what does this mean for the question of who is a leader? Well, I think you'll agree from what you've just heard Jenny say, actually the answer is we're all leaders. Or if you prefer, we all have the ability to lead. In other words, it's a choice. It's not about seniority. It's not about position in the organization. It's how you choose to behave and what you choose to do that makes you a leader, involves you in leadership. Let me try and give you two simple ex examples to illustrate this point. First one is my favourite one, which is think about parenthood. Some of you might be mo mothers or fathers. If not, obviously you all know some. <laughs> so think about the different contexts. How do parents operate with their children? Well, I would suggest to you that the things that they do are completely consistent with leaders and leadership. What they do is they support their children. Sometimes they direct them as to what to do, but most of the time they're trying to give them opportunity, ways to grow, ways to learn, ways in which they might fail, but they can learn from that. They will develop and the parents will give them, you know, empower them so that they can find their own meaning, their own future purpose. What do the children want to do? Their own vision, if you like. So all of that, all of those examples, if we put those same things, those same activities into an organizational structure, we'd say they're examples of leaders and leadership. Another simple example might be when you go into a building, I know many of us haven't done that for a while, but imagine you're going into a large building to a meeting and you go to reception. How the person on reception responds to you is a form of leadership. They're often a very junior individual in the organization, but they can choose to really accommodate you. They can choose to give you their full attention. They can choose to help you very quickly and address you appropriately to the relevant culture. Or, and many of us may have experienced this, they can be really quite rude to you. They can ignore you. 
right? They can make you wait until they're ready. All of they can chat to the person next to them. All of those sorts of things. Those are all examples of the behaviors that people choose. The former examples are behaviors consistent with leadership. The second examples are not. So we all have this choice. We can all be leaders, we would argue. Next slide, next slide, please, Jenny. Now, a little step back for a moment. If you're studying leadership, you may be familiar with lots of different theories about leadership. Frankly, we've been studying it. People have been studying it for well over 100 years. These are summary terms of different types of ways of theorizing about leadership. I'm sure you, many of you will be able to think of other theories of leadership that are not mentioned on here or you're not even sure where they fit. There are so many. But where it's coming to now is this idea of collaborative leadership. And that's what Jenny has been talking about. This is what we think is the real scenario, the reality of leadership. Why do we get there? Well, Jenny, take me to the next slide, if you would, again. We get there because the problem is that of all those other theories, none of them actually seem to work. There might be lots, there might be lots of interesting ideas in many of them. And this is what often happens. People hear a theory around leadership and take one particular element of it and think, oh, I can, I can work with that. That's really interesting. I can use that. But actually the theories each on their own, and you look at the theory as a whole, we consistently fail to demonstrate that the theories are actually what happens in practice, right? They just don't have predictive power. Their usefulness is open to considerable debate. And so that's what sent scholars and people who are interested in leadership back to the drawing board, back to first principles, to look at what's really happening in practice. And what's really happening in practice is again what has been brought to the forefront when you think about how people have had to work together, whether they're students or in organizations, in the last two years. What we've realized is it's an incredibly complex process. Leadership isn't about one single individual at the front, it just can't be. They tell people what to do, it doesn't work. It's a complex environment, it's entangled. It also involves some really quite mundane things. You, know, you might think the examples I gave you earlier around leadership are very simple and maybe not quite what you thought leadership was. And yet they're part of that totality, they're part of what's needed to be successful. And also, frankly, there's less causality. It's so difficult to be able to say, if a person does X, the outcome will be Y. So very difficult to do that because of the complexity of the context we work in, which is what tells us we need something else. And that something else is the idea of collaborative leadership. Jenny, let me hand back to you. So if we can't rely on control, what is it that we're talking about here? Change the language uh, about leadership from me as a leader to we as leaders. So not me as a leader, but we as leaders. And then begin to ask, so what happens? What, what do we actually see? If leadership is about movement in, in a meeting or in a discussion, how is movement created? And it's not about, does he do that or does she do that? It's about how do we create movement? And then how do we change our movement? So what begins a discussion to move the ideas forward? And then what gets in the way of that movement going forward? Or what, what sends us backwards, for example? And when you start looking at interaction and how people work together, you begin to see a much, much wider range of activity that counts as leadership. So again, Phil's given you a couple of his favorite examples. I'll just give you one from my, uh, I love animals. So I'm always interested to find how the natural world informs our scholarship. And in the past, if we talked about leadership, we might've put up a picture of a lion, you know, the, the male, um, head, head of the pride, he's got his mane, you know, he's big and strong and everything like that. And we might say, that's a leader. But actually, if you go to this idea that leadership can be found in the doing, leadership is found in the doing of the group. 
And now you watch a pride of lions, what do you see? You actually see that the lionesses all go out hunting together. And they spread out across the savannah and they are not able to communicate because of course, if they uh, growled or roared or across the savannah, every, every antelope would gallop off. But a, a pride of lionesses hunting are working as a collaborative endeavor in order to feed the entire pride. They're not feeding themselves, they're feeding every, every lion in the pride. And that is the essence of this sort of leadership. It's collaborative, it's collective, and it's in the doing. Now, before you think that Phil and I are just a bunch of theorists and there's no evidence for anything that we're talking about theoretically, I am going to give, give you some practical human examples, not just from Prides of Lions. So when we look at, for example, using uh, a different anthropology, we actually begin to see that there are really good examples of this idea of collective and collaborative leadership. For example, the Maori in uh, my country in New Zealand, this is their model of leadership. The Aborigines in uh, the next door nation state, which is Australia, they too work in this way. The Maasai also. And then very controversially, uh, a group of scholars did some work on Al-Qaeda and how Al-Qaeda had managed to evade capture and managed to infiltrate uh, American society to the extent that they could conduct the 9-11 attack. And one of the things was that they could enact this collaborative and collective leadership. And I would suggest an even more up-to-date version of this is uh, found in Extinction Rebellion. Nobody's written that up as a case study, but again, Extinction Rebellion sees leadership as dispersed and distributed. It sees it as collective, collaborative, and in the activity, in the action of everybody. So, you know, this, these are, it's a, it is a new field of leadership. I won't deny that the, there's not a lot written about it. Although you will notice that Phil and I are, are well published in this domain. So we've cited ourselves at the bottom of the slide. And we're really keen to engage with anybody who's interested in continuing to research and um, write around this subject. Phil, I think it's back to you. Thank you. Yeah, please take me on to the next slide. So this is where we lead into the question of, so what does it mean for you, these ideas of collaborative leadership? Well, we're arguing that this is what happens out there in the Western world as well, right? So that list of examples on the prior slide might make you think that's somewhere else. And we're not saying that. We're just saying that it's more obvious. It's been noticed in those somewhere else's, <laughs> if you give that phrase, but it is actually what happens everywhere. And that not noticing that means you get less effective outcomes. Seeking to work in a different way in the old traditional heroic leader way gets less effective outcomes. You know, at its simplest, if I can make a, uh, a what to me seems a straightforward point, you know, having ha put men in charge of so many things or men having taken charge of so many things has clearly lost advantage because lots of research, lots of discussion, frankly, in ourselves, we know um, that the, 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 the women, the other 50%, so to speak, or the first 50% have great stuff to offer, different stuff to offer, and better stuff to offer in many cases. So that's telling us that by having that way of thinking before wasn't offering the greatest uh, success. And there are studies that show that organizations with greater diversity are usually more successful. And that's consistent with this idea that what's happening is a collaborative form of leadership. So what you have to do is shift your mindset away from this idea of the hierarchical boss and recognize that you have a role as an individual wherever you are in the system to, to enable successful outcome, enable successful leadership, even if you're junior in the process. Of course, there are different cultures around the world in different countries that affect how this might work. We know that you know, in some, it's, it's if one was to stereotype, you could say that often in Asia, you will find organizations that are more hierarchical. However, 
Our point is that success still relies upon the collaborative leadership, the way in which the junior people work with the senior people. They might not work the same way as they do in the US or in Russia or in England, but it's that combination. So you've got to think about how one works together. So the next slide, please, Jenny, if you will. This is to just start to trigger some ideas for you. And the next slide will do this as well, but let's just stay here for a moment. Point is, as you start to think about what you could do as an individual, you will be able to identify things that will improve your leadership as well as the impact on people around you. And the, this, this idea of an experiment is core to our work. It's with all skills, leadership takes practice. This is what people fail to remember. They fail to do this. They just think that by continuing to work, somehow getting older, experience makes them better leaders and enjoy better leadership. It doesn't. It's about practice. And so you can do this yourself. And the key thing is to identify something that you think in a small way will improve outcomes in this sense of leadership. Practice it, try it, see what happens, and then start again. You can do that on your own. This slide just gives a very simple, slightly random example. It's considered by many people and research supports the idea that if you give praise to others, whether they are your juniors, your peers or seniors, the giving of praise has a positive effect. It motivates others and it actually also builds your resilience. There's research to show that there's a relationship in which you think other people makes you feel better. So the simple idea is if, if you decide to test that out, Give more praise to people in your conversations and then see what happens. Hopefully you will see these positive outcomes. Of course, you might not. You might see, as it says there, that people just think you've gone mad. Frankly, that would have been a bit like me when I was a finance director. I was not known for praising people. <laughs> I was known for being a classic finance bully. Right. I, I admit to it now. I use my knowledge of finance to make life hard for other people. So I think if I'd started praising people overnight, that would have been the initial reaction. Our point is about the experiment is you see what happens. And if that is the answer and they think you've gone mad, well, then twist it. Try it a bit of a different way. Keep it going on the go, practicing these ideas. Next slide, please, Jenny. This slide provides you with some initial examples. And I'd like you to perhaps look back at it afterwards to think about what you might pick out, because you could do uh, at least the ones at the bottom because it doesn't matter what grade you are to do the ones at the bottom. If you're perhaps more senior or you've got work experience, the ones at the top might work for you. These are all some basic ideas in which acknowledging that working with others, collaborative leadership is what leadership is all about. Then you need to find little things you can do more that will enable that environment, that will improve what's happening. So notice a simple one on the second list there if, the, if you are senior. Just set the objective of asking other people, what do you think, at least daily? See, the point is when people become senior in a, a leader role sense, they've often got there by providing solutions themselves. But as you become more senior, it's much more important to engage others. And so you need to remember to ask people questions. What do you think? Of course, the point is, as a junior person, provided you're not insulting anyone, you can do the same thing by asking other people's opinions and drawing them into the room. That's a great example of leadership, even though you're at the more junior level. So this is, these are lots of examples that you could start to consider and practice, but they're a bit random. Let's, let's move on to this idea of leaders who coach and the role that that plays. Jenny, the next slide. We'd like you to join in here. We'd like you to put some thoughts in chat, please, to answer these questions on the slide. We want you to reflect on your own experience of leadership. If you can, if you've had a boss, recall the best boss you've ever had anytime. And share in the chat what it was that they did. What were their specific actions or behaviors that made them special to you? Or if you haven't really had a boss or you haven't got a boss that you would describe as a great boss, then answer it in terms of what would you want from someone in order to be able to describe them as a superb boss? So we're basically interested in what you think a great boss would be doing. What would be their behaviors and actions? Please type into chat whatever comes to mind. I'm just going to wait a moment for you to do that so that we can try and pick up on your thoughts. 
great. So Jamie has triggered us off. Thank you very much. Saying, um, you know, specific recognition from them. So acknowledging you, uh, supporting you for what you've done. The extra one using the word supporting again, being encouraging, giving you freedom. Lovely idea. Giving you freedom to make decisions. So you learn from those decisions. They don't micromanage you. They let you do it, empowering you. Motivation, again, praising you. So that's similar to one we've come before. These are coming in fast. I, may, I might miss some. Um, giving you space to try and fail. Again, great idea. Giving you space. So that opportunity, supporting you. The ability for you to learn. So rather than telling you what to do. Slightly different one. Uh, encouraging new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Hearing from you. And you said, oh, that went too fast for me. Um, and someone has said here, I had a boss that made me love my job because he was so supporting and encouraging and always in a good mood. Yeah, really nice. Always in a good mood, positive, smiling. If you made a mistake, he didn't get angry. That's great. Great example. So it's that idea that they are supportive. It's the idea of learning from your mistakes. Lovely. Yeah. Appreciation, a good leader, says Ryan, appreciates us before highlighting our faults. Absolutely. Recognizing us for the good that we can do. And Leonardo says dependable. You know, that idea that they are, there's an element of consistency. You know where you stand, I think you're saying. Um, and that he was motivated. Yeah. Always asking your opinions. Brilliant. I've probably missed some, but I think the theme is there. So I'm going to go on to the next slide. Of course, if you feel like you wanted to share something else later, please do. So what had just happened? Well, we would say, and you've written it here, that what, you know, what usually people say is they're actually describing being coached. So all those things you were putting up there were examples of coaching behaviours, of leaders who are using coaching skills. So... Implicit within that was that in your examples was being listened to, right? Understanding you, empowering. There were different words of you know, giving you space. That was about empowering, asking questions, uh, giving space is all about delegation, uh, acknowledging you. That's forms of feedback. And also someone talked about, you know, you, you have got faults. You want to know what those are as well. But built in acknowledging the positives. So we would say that all those answers are essentially the traits, the skills of leaders who coach. And it falls into this idea that coaching is often described using this phrase on the screen. But if you give someone a fish, you feed them for a day. But if you teach them to fish, you feed them for life. And that's the idea of a leader who coaches, empowering you so that you can ultimately learn to do everything for yourself rather than having to be directed. I got overexcited there, I can't remember. Am I on the next slide? I think I am. Jenny, the next slide, please. This is perhaps another way of you thinking about what you described or how you might describe a great boss. On the slide in front of you are the dimensions of leaders who coach, in our opinion. So this is based on the research that Jenny and I have done, both from an academic sense, but also our years of practical experience. We pull together these 15 different dimensions, skills that together create this thing we call coaching but each one of these skills are powerful and beneficial on their own so asking questions is in there you can see creative questions is the phrase and that was one of the things that one of you said in the chat being asking you questions giving you feedback came up i don't know if you used the word feedback but it was you know recognizing your capabilities so that's giving you feedback about what you've done well as well as feedback about what you've done less well um, building trust and rapport, I would have said that was evident in many of your examples in the supporting, being there, being dependable. All of these are the skills that make up leaders who coach. So we suspect that's what you're thinking and what you're describing. That's what we hear so often when people talk about whatever their best boss was doing. Jenny, back to you. So just to recap and to take these ideas forward, um, this idea that leaders who coach very much see leadership as we create leadership. 
and that it's in inactivity. And the reason that the coaching style is so important is because, as somebody in the chat said, nobody ever felt that they were superior and nobody ever felt that they were inferior. And that's a lovely way to think about this idea of coaching is we raise everybody up. Everybody is raised up. And that is fundamental to the value of coaching to an organization. This is why organizations are getting very interested in this idea. Because quite frankly, if you develop some of this capacity, it means that you can transcend functional expertise. So most of us join an organization and we become very technically proficient in, in something that we can do and that we're employed to do. And we get promoted and we get promoted because we get more and more proficient. We get more and more expert in that, um, in that technical ability. But once you in, include this idea of leaders who are coaching, then the value moves across the organization. So we go from a deep expertise to a T-shaped person. So one of my bosses used to always talk about developing T-shaped people because then your skills are not just tethered to your functional expertise, but it means the organization can see ways of using you in many different places. And that really helps your career. As I say, that makes you super valuable to the organization. So traditionally, people who wanted to think about leader, being a leader who coached uh, were just taught coaching skills as if they were going to become an executive coach. So anybody who knows the, uh, the way that executive coaches work is uh, they, they learn how to uh, coach people and then they come into an organization and they work on a one-to-one -one basis with individuals. And the common way that leaders learn to coach is by adopting that similar model. And the research that Phil and I have been doing these last, uh, actually four or five years, I think it is now, uh, we've been working together, 2015, do the maths, I can't do that. Anyway, so since 2015, we've been invest investigating this and we think that's wrong. We think that if you're a leader who coaches, you need to learn these skills based around those 15 dimensions that Phil has just explained. You need to learn them as a leader, not as if you're a coach. And why is that important? That's important because you're going to use them in very different ways. So what are you going to do? You're going to use your coaching skills on the go. That means that your time segments for using these skill sets is going to be smaller, probably 10 minutes a day or 10 minute conversations. You're not going to sit down and formal one hour sessions and have a formal coaching uh, appointment with somebody. You're going to be in a corridor going from meeting to meeting and somebody's going to come up and need your help. And that's an opportunity for you to coach. So also you're going to be coaching in a way that is very much related to the work rather than away from the work. So all the coaching that you do as a leader who coaches is around the problem or around the subject or around the issue that is uh, relevant for you and the rest of the team that you're working with. And you're going to be using it in situ. So in the office, uh, in meetings, on the factory floor, wherever it is that you find that you're working. And therefore it's going to be less formal. And that brings me to back to the 15 dimensions that Phil's already uh, introduced because some of the dimensions we've got here, you will never see on another model. And that's because um, of this mistaken thinking that I've just pointed to, which is uh, there's models for coaching and there's models for leadership. And the two are just mushed together. And instead, Phil and I started from the 
the basis of what is it that we're trying to achieve here? What is it we, we, we need to bring about this collaborative endeavor? And so on our uh, model here, you'll see things such as delegating, because the way in which work gets passed to people is a coaching skill. It's an opportunity to be a leader who coaches. Delegating work is an opportunity to collaborate. Similarly, we've put in things like pause points. We've got pause points for self and pause points for others. And you'll not see that on other models. And that's because we believe that in pausing collaboratively and collectively, you all look up and you all look out. And that's the benefit of pausing, is it helps everybody to become more strate strategic. And also, and this relates to somebody else who wrote in the chat, it, um, giving feedback. Giving feedback is a leader who coaches skill. Very important. And uh, somebody in the, in the chat said, the ability to give feedback in a way that enhances people's growth and development makes a good boss. Okay, Phil, back to you. Thank you. No, stick with the slide you're on for a moment, if I may, okay. just to add. Can I just do a time check with you? We've got 15 minutes before we need to close. So just so everybody's aware, we're watching the clock. Very good. Yeah, I just wanted to you know, build on this and come back to what we were talking about earlier. When you look at those 15 dimensions, you may not recognize them all or necessarily understand them all. Although most of them are what they say on the tin. Most of them are, you know, what you think they mean is what they mean. They might not be on occasions, and I appreciate that's the case. Most of them are nonetheless very straightforward. So an example that might not be obvious is contracting. If you're not familiar with the world, the world of, of coaching and leaders who coach, contracting is the idea of agreeing how we will work together. So when you go into a meeting, if there's really good leadership in that meeting, people will start by saying a variety of things, really, that address this idea of contracting, like how long are we in this meeting for? What are the outcomes of the meeting? Why are we in the meeting? Who, who's in the meeting? You know, whose voice do we want to hear? What do we not want to hear? All of these very different um, agenda setting ideas right? That's the idea of contracting. There's more to it, but that's the idea of it. It's a really important skill in, in as a leader who coaches, because when you're working with someone, you need to be clear about what you think is happening. You know, what are your expectations versus what are their expectations? Whether that's with your boss or with a peer or with a junior, what are the environments that you're in? Now, the reason I'm talking about these being straightforward is because although it might seem daunting. You can take me to the next slide now, Jenny. It might seem daunting, some of these ideas. Um, actually, we can all do it. What matters is to look at those different dimensions, think about whether you're good at it or not, you know, forming a view. You might need some feedback on that, but forming a view. And then finding little ways to test it, little behavioral experiments like I was describing earlier. Just adding into your daily activity, on the go in what you're doing anyway, some different processes that will seek to make you better at whichever one of these skills you're looking at. So you might have noticed listening was on there or generative, generative listening. Listening is a real skill. Often we think that's funny to start with because we can all listen. And yet if I ask you to think about it, you can probably identify someone who you think is a great listener. So think about what is it that they do and what do you get from it? And then see how you can try and practice listening better. Try and reduce how often you interrupt people. <laughs> try and just stay quiet and see what happens. It's an example of the practice. So it may look daunting, but we can all do it. Jenny, take me on to that next slide, if you would. So take a moment to pause. We talked about the importance of pause points. Here's a variation. Just take a moment to pause now and think about what have you heard so far that's really impacted upon you what do you think is the the um yeah the, the the big thing that's landed for you what have you noticed what have you heard what have you learned don't 
very briefly, we'll just go on to the next slide and then conclude. Thanks. This is something for you to think about afterwards. The key thing is as you're developing these skills, these leader who coaches skills, of course, you are affected by the context that you're in. We talked about that earlier, the, the, the context is, makes it so complicated. So have a think about what's going on in the culture that you're working in, whether that's the culture of the university, if you're a student or a culture of an organization in the future. These are some elements that will help you think about that culture and how that relates to the use of coaching skills as a leader. They're still powerful, but the way you might, you know, the way you might practice them or do them could be different. We just wanted to share that with you, although we don't have the time to go into that right now. Jenny, I think we're on probably to the final slides yeah so this is the key point we're getting at this is your opportunity we hope whether you're studying leadership or acknowledging that you want to be a leader you know or you're in roles of leadership the point we're getting at is you can start practicing these things today straight away you just need to stop focus you know look at the things look at those dimensions of leaders who coach think about what you could develop Think about little experiments that you can do. Uh, we've got loads of uh, examples and background material on our website, as you might expect, etc. There are other resources. But the point we're getting at is actually it's about just taking the time, the moment to stop and think about it. The skills of a leader who coach absolutely map beautifully to this idea of collaborative leadership, which is what we think, and we think there's evidence out there, supports that the best leadership, the most effective outcomes are achieved through collaborative leadership. The old model has gone. No leader can succeed alone anymore. I hope that's been useful to you all. Um, we've got various ways in which you can contact us afterwards. We're in, in you know, would, would love to be in contact. We've got a LinkedIn group there that you can scan and join us on. If you've got questions that we don't get a chance to answer today or that occur afterwards, pop them up on the LinkedIn group. We'd love to engage in that and we share regularly with Know, with other ideas and of course those are our email addresses and contact details as well this is something we're passionate about because we think it's available to everybody can make a huge difference to our own leadership and to society in general thank you for your time we're very happy to answer questions and if you haven't given us any way we can also talk more jenny is there anything else you wanted to add No, I'm keen to hear what uh, questions people have, and um, particularly about this shift from thinking about it as heroic leadership and thinking of how we collaborate and um, join together. So please give us your questions. Thank you so much, Jenny and Phil. That was a fascinating presentation. Um, I hope the audience is composing while they're composing their thoughts and comments. Please do um, put your comments and questions into the Q&A box, um, which I would uh, share with Jenny and Phil. But while everyone is composing their thoughts, may I actually take the opportunity to then reintroduce you to, to the audience who join late and also to um, ask a question. So uh, today we had the privilege to in, um, listen to Dr. Jenny Robinson and Dr. Phil Rangshaw, who are the authors of Coaching on the Go. You might notice the Coaching on the Go book uh, on the bottom of the slide. If you're interested, you might wish to take a look and you might also be able to find materials related to today's presentation on their website. And my question uh, for both of you is, I was really fascinated uh, by how you um, distinguish the way we could uh, become collab uh, collaborative leaders um, as both think senior and junior practitioner. And I think many of our students who are entering the labor market might be new to these um, uh, to, to work uh, places and work experience. And sometimes they, they might stop short of thinking of themselves as in they have already developed some leadership experience and skills through not necessarily professional experience, but through, as you mentioned, negotiating with family or friends and in, in other matters. And I would like to ask you a little bit more in terms of your insight into being junior um, employees and workers and, and how to build that confidence and how to change that mindset that it, it is possible uh, to become uh, 
collaborative leaders through coaching because coaching feels really daunting. It's, it's something you do when you're senior, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, a lovely, lovely question, Minjia. I'll, I'll have a go first and then invite uh, Jenny to chip in. Um, yeah, it's a really significant difference. And I think I think it comes about this challenge of, of, you know, how can I do this if I'm junior? It comes about because of this old model of hero leadership, right? So we, we think I'm, I'm not senior yet, so I, I can't do those things. I shouldn't be doing those things. And yet I hope we've given examples that show that outside of work, people are doing these things. <laughs> junior people are doing these things. Uh, parents, as a, as a clear example, right? But most people become parents relatively young in their working lives, right? Um, and all of those things they're doing are ideas or re relate to ideas of leadership. So what we'd encourage you to think about is that, that these elements we're trying to draw out, the different dimensions, if you think about them separately, they're each powerful on their own. So you can get a reputation for being um, for asking great questions as a junior person, right? To get that reputation, you need to put some effort in. You need to practice it. Types of questions, when to ask your questions, who to ask them of, right? It's not just asking questions all the time, because if we go back to the, the example of children, we've all been annoyed by a five-year-old who constantly asks why. Right? So it's not a constant thing. It's about practicing and noticing but there are lots of lovely questions that you can ask that really help with people's thinking even if you're the junior person so that's what i'd encourage you to do is to think about it in its component parts rather than the idea that you are entering into some i am coaching you bigger sense but just picking off the components jenny what would what would you add and uh, not much i'm just sitting here reflecting on um the study that i led back in um, 2019 where I, I literally videotaped or videoed um, a bunch of people working collaboratively in order to an analyze leadership from the ground up with this new ontology of not thinking it's all about the person at the front or the most powerful person, but that acts of leadership are co-created amongst the group. And I think that the, the thing... I, I didn't, when I was videoing, I didn't know who was senior and who was junior. Of course, I knew who, who had brought me in and was senior enough to bring me in. But actually, my, my camera lens was completely agnostic about seniority. And that's one of the reasons I chose to use video, because it kept me agnostic about um, power and relationships and just helped me to focus on what did I actually see? What did I actually capture? and uh, the the sets of behaviors or the sets of practices that I found that really had a material impact on the creation of leadership were, as Phil has said, asking questions. And so there's questions to just check where the group is. So what are we doing here? Are we clear on our objectives? So this sort of question, and anybody can ask that in a very uh, soft-spoken manner. You don't have to be bullish about it, but it's just an inquiry, right? And when I interviewed uh, the groups about this sort of inquiry, one of the things they pointed to is they, they stopped seeing uh, leadership about knowing. So knowing is associated with that idea of seniority. If you're senior, you must know the answer. But actually what they were saying is this was a discovery. They were there to just explore and find out from each other. What are we thinking? What do we know? How do we, do, how do we go about solving this problem? And there was a real joyfulness in that sort of uh, sense of discovery. So the use of questions was the, the first practice that really helped uh, bring about leadership. And then the other, um, the other one was this idea of praise and creating... Um, creating togetherness and creating a sense of belonging. Sorry, that's a very long answer. Thank you very much, Jenny. Um, we might be able to answer one more question, may I? I think it's this question from David um, is actually something that was also on my mind. David asked, thought in the chat, working from home has meant that I believe I have stopped using some skills I will have routinely used when seeing people in person. And I noticed that Jenny and Phil have published this fantastic article on the people management website about leadership 
and the pandemic, would you mind sharing some insights on that? And we also have two more questions in the Q&A. We might not have the time, but I'm sure, Phil, you might want to, you might be able to type in the answer later on. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So back to you, um, pandemic and leadership. Yeah. So working remotely, um, all I'd say is you can change up your mindset so you can believe that working on Zoom is a hindrance to building relationships and building rapport with people, or you can just believe that uh, working remotely is a fantastic opportunity. It's very democratic. Uh, it means more people can join in. Everybody has the same uh, size posted stamp on Zoom. There are many great things about working uh, on Zoom and remotely that actually we, we're ignoring. When we think that we should be in the office, we need to be in face-to-face in -face contact with people, we switch off a part of our mind that can see what a fantastic opportunity this is. So the first thing I'd point to is just, David, switch up your mindset and see what possibilities open up. Phil? I think the thing that I go on about a bit too much in this in this particular context is that whilst it's a major change for most people for many many people thousands millions it's no change whatsoever um, you know because people have been working virtually uh for such a long time i, I certainly uh, you know over 12 years ago i, I was had a team for more than that must have been 15 to 20 years ago i had a team uh, and most of them i never met they were all overseas so you know, these, these things already existed. So what it's drawing attention to is the difficulties of leadership. And that's what I think, ironically, is a, you know, a good outcome of, of COVID, <laughs> because leadership seems to be so much harder in this virtual world. And I would say it's not harder, it's just different. And you're noticing that, and that's a really good thing. So think about what you can do differently. And in the same way as, as David suggested, you know, I'm not using skills that I was before. Well, does that necessarily matter? But, but make a note of it, be aware of it. Self-awareness is key because hopefully very soon you'll be back to the environments that you were in before of working face to face. And then you need to think about those skills and how you develop them again or improve them again. Because I think that's one of the things people haven't given it attention. Uh, we were interviewing a very senior leader today who uh, just before this event, who talked about the last two years, having taught people that to be a senior leader, you have to be compassionate. That's really really important you can't take for granted that people are healthy or you know their their mental health is great actually that was true before right that was true before but people were not noticing it so it's it's you know it's drawing our attention to that i think thank you so much i just checked uh, with um lauren i think we we might have to wrap up in a bit but can i just quickly ask you to answer this question like maybe in a few sentences so these two questions first do you believe that leaders who does care only about himself and his family is considered as a bad leader and how to overcome behavioral wastage for a successful leader or a person i'm not quite sure i understand yeah. No, I'm, ha I'm happy to answer this one because this is why I tried to emphasize at the beginning the idea of ontology. And if you look across the chart, um, the question doesn't actually make sense if you move into the third level that we had on the chart. So the, the idea of a collaborative and collective leadership means that, in fact, the ideas that you've just expressed there are kind of impossible to hold because it's not about the individual, it's got to be about the collective. And so if you believe in the collective, you can never think just about yourself, right? But if you're thinking about just yourself, then you've turned, you've gone up, you've gone up into level one ontology, which is this, what we would now call an old fashioned ontology, an out of date ontology. So the words I would have used would simply be that um, success would have to be less. <laughs> right the potential would have to be lower and on behavioral wastage well i'm quite pleased minji that you said you're not sure what that is because neither am i so i think shivana you will need to email one of us afterwards with what behavioral wastage is then we can try try and give you an answer and and uh, i don't think i'm embarrassed by that by the way that's that's the nature of learning it's great i, I um you know we're always looking for, for these things um, so please tell us what, what it is when you've got a moment as so we'd love to help you with the answer not sure thank you so very much jenny and phil we had a great time
Thank you so much for today. And I think it's about time for us to wrap up. Thank you very much for spending an hour and a bit with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for inviting us. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for listening to the Big Picture Podcast series. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to never miss an episode.